Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. It's all about the journey. How do we, as much as possible, tell the story using this brand awareness buying so that you're not investing a ton of money into creatives that aren't going to actually drive people to wherever you want them to go? You're listening to Perpetual Traffic with Keith Krantz, Molly Pittman, and Ralph Burns. Hello and welcome to episode 114 of Perpetual Traffic. Today we've got a great guest that we're really excited about having on, Andrew Foxwell of Foxwell Digital, a company that he runs with his wife. And we're going to be talking about running Facebook ads, running digital advertising for bigger brands. And how do you integrate this brand advertising with direct response advertising? Super excited to have Andrew on. He's ran campaigns for over 200 different organizations, spent over $10 million on Facebook ads for brands like Kind Snacks, the Grand Ole Opry, huge brands that you and I have all heard of, and just doing some really cool things. Andrew, welcome to Perpetual Traffic. Oh, I am just super excited to be here. Big fan of the show, longtime listener, first time caller. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. First time, long time. We love when people call in. I know. Love that. Molly connected us all. So uh, Molly, how did you guys connect? And Andrew, maybe a little bit of how you got into what you're doing. Yeah, we connected a few months back. I think, Andrew, I'd seen or heard you inside of John Loomer's Facebook group. I was like, huh, this guy's smart. <laughs> we should be buddies. But I'm actually curious too, Andrew, how did you get into all of this? 
Yeah, well, I tell you, so first of all, love John, been a friend uh, of his for a long time. We met because I started blowing up the comments on his blog uh, four years ago uh, <laughs> as a guy being like, wait, 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 what do you mean by this? What do you mean by this? <laughs> you were that guy. Oh, I was for sure that guy. Uh, but then we immediately bonded because I'm a Wisconsin guy. I live in Madison, Wisconsin, born and raised Cheesehead. And John is as well, even though he lives in Colorado. So uh, we've been friends for a long time. And I met John when I was at an agency that's called 3Q Digital now. And I was the original director of paid social there. So that's kind of really how I started. And I got that job because I had started a social media agency for members of Congress in D.C., where I basically helped members of Congress using their official budgets advertise on Facebook and Google and help them reach their constituents with social media. So in 2009, that's when Facebook pages were invented. So just a little hashtag throwback. And I was a congressional press secretary at the time. Mm. So, you know, we were all learning at that time how we can use social media and, and how it was going to be able to connect us with the American public. I did not expect that. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Yeah, Andrew, really cool. Jealous of you working with all of the big brands. But I think this is an interesting conversation. Actually, last year at Digital Marketer, this became of interest to me, this whole idea of branding and direct response. And it's actually something that we talked about at Traffic and Conversion Summit last year, the idea of branding and direct response actually working together and branding really being a deposit into a relational equity account that you have with your prospects and your customers and direct response advertising, you know, being when you actually ask them to buy something or to opt in for something, but needing to make sure that you've built that relational equity on the front end, very much like you would in a real relationship. So it was funny, last year I started to realize we had always been a very direct response-minded company, and we will continue to be so. But there comes a time in a company and, and as a media buyer where you realize, I really need to run some branding ads. Like My simple goal here is, is to create awareness for the brand or the personality, the company as a whole. So just sort of to set the stage why this is important, but also you're the perfect person to have on because you have had experience with this. So this idea of branding and direct response, do you feel like they work together? Do you feel like they're two totally different things? Do you feel like as a big brand, you're mainly just doing branding or is there some direct response mixed in there? How does this all work from your point of view? It differs incredibly wide by the organization that you are looking into, but I think that clearly they do work together, right? And when a lot of people think about big brands, they think, you know what, it's a lot of branding and it's not necessarily direct response. But okay. I will tell you that a lot of these brands have set it up so that the direct response things, or, you know, the way that they are building their strategy moving forward is to try to be more like us that are doing direct response buying. So in many cases, what you'll have is you'll have kind of a branding team that's doing a lot of advertising and their KPI is impressions, right? And, and really impressions and reach and, and what the frequency is of those. And then you kind of have this separate team, sometimes related, that is really that direct response buying e-com team, if that's something that they want to kind of focus on or if they have a product that does that let's take a large like auto company or something, right? 
they're still wanting to test a lot of that direct response buying with things like offline conversions and everything. So I think there's things that are very similar. There's things that are close. For example, direct response buying at a large brand outside of attribution looks very similar in terms of structural tactics, i.e. lookalike audiences for 1% optimizing on a seven-day click, one-day view type of thing, right? Or whatever. So that looks similar in, in terms of what we would do in other brands, but what looks entirely different. And I will tell you is the literal kind of wild west, but also just a weird whole other world is this reach and frequency buying and, and brand buying. And that world, I honestly can tell you that I don't believe that there are there's probably less than 100 people worldwide that actually understand the way that that should work well because right. there's so many different variables that go into it. There's so many different pieces that change dynamically on the auction all the time and the tool changes and the ad units change. So there's all these different levers that you can pull and you're like, I think this is good. You know, so yeah. it's really, it's an interesting world. And a lot of big brands and big agencies who I've worked with and are my clients have talked about this and are also navigating through it. So I think that's kind of some big differences right away. Right. When you go to launch a Facebook campaign, it asks, what's your marketing objective, right? And most people focus on brand awareness, conversions, you know, traffic, whatever their objective is. But there's actually an option above that. So it says auction. So, you know, that's where most people live, right? When they're buying these Facebook ads, they go into the auction. So you're bidding to reach your audience for the lowest possible price. But the reach and frequency objective... This is where you pay a fixed price to predictively reach your brand's audience. That's Facebook's words. So it's cool. Last year when we were in this position and I was really wanting to launch this branding campaign, what we did is we came up with a commercial. So we actually shot this cool, funny, ridiculous video about ending the war between sales and marketing. So our goal was to reach a whole new audience, Fortune 500 companies who would be interested in buying Digital Marketer HQ. So most of these people had sales teams, marketing teams that were fighting because, you know, marketing wasn't sending good leads and the sales team didn't know how to close the leads that marketing was sending. And this really traditional argument that happens in most companies, our video was a play off of that. So we actually worked with Facebook and we did use the reach and frequency option here, which was very cool because like I said, you can lock yourself into a fixed price, but the only problem is, is that you're committing to a pretty big budget over a certain amount of time. So we did reach and frequency. The objective was reach and we locked in over a two week period to a pretty big budget that was guaranteed to spend and pretty much just blast this video to as many people in our target audience as possible. So just to put a little case study to what you were saying, it's not something that I recommend for someone with smaller budgets, but it was a cool experience and we were able to reach a ton of people that we then retargeted them with a 14-day trial, which was our direct response play there. You know, reach and frequency buying, you're going to hit the ceiling and it's not something you want to do until you have felt that you are really pushing the envelope on 
your really high performing direct response campaigns, right? So it's not something you want to add into the mix unless you really have budget that you are starting to look at other channels, i.e. like TV or you're looking at display buying or something else that's a very, very wide buy. And so not to say the targeting, of course, doesn't always have to be wide on reach and frequency buying. Uh, And the nice thing is, of course, you can paste impressions a certain way. So you can do seven impressions a day or you can do 10 impressions every seven days or whatever. And those change dynamically as you before you kind of lock that in. So you can use this tool that's called the campaign planner that allows you to kind of build that out and show what numbers might be and estimate a reach and then estimate mostly what you're looking for is impressions and CPM. But I think before you even do that, you have to make sure that one, you've definitely tested and done a lot of direct response buying. And I think this is true and something that I try to push bigger brands into, which is, look, reach and frequency buying and brand awareness buying is fantastic if you are lining this up against KPIs that are related to other awareness types of buying. But if you are lining this up in terms of direct response buying and you haven't done a thoughtful, integrated test using lookalikes and interests and behaviors and remarketing, and you don't have a funnel built out, that's going to be a very difficult thing to swallow, especially when you're the one that's probably tasked with explaining it to others about why it's a valuable thing to do. So you always make sure that if you're going to do it, set up what your expectations are and what you hope to do, because there's a lot of area for disappointment, I think, if people don't know what they're getting out of that. The way I kind of see it is, if you look at it like a funnel, like an actual diagram of a funnel, using a reach and frequency or a branding campaign is really just adding on to the top. So I knew that I had our systems built out so that once someone visits our website, I have a pretty good customer journey set up to turn them into a customer. But we really needed more people to retarget. And the best way to do so wasn't necessarily to get them to visit our website. That's why we used a video so that we could retarget the people who were watching this commercial. So I totally agree. I think this is a plus and an add-on to any direct response type of stuff that you're doing. You said something interesting earlier about attribution, and it's a huge question we all get, right? How do I measure this stuff? Even if you're just getting started, attribution can be hugely confusing. Even at the level we are at Digital Marketer, attribution is an absolute pain in the ass. So as you start to scale more and you have more website visitors, you have more channels where people are coming from, like, how do you keep all of this straight? The attribution question, as it always is, the black box of Facebook marketing for a lot of people. And there's different ways that people go about this. I called one of my best friends whose name is Molly, actually. And Molly is the senior director of paid social at my old agency. And she had told me something last year that I was surprised to hear. And it's something I had not heard. And I said, an attribution, what do your clients do? And to give you an idea, I mean, Molly's probably managing, I don't even know, you know, north of 30 million a month or something, probably her team is at this point. And she said, almost all of her clients are only looking at the one day click, basically. 
if they're looking at anything at all. Most of them are only looking at UTM parameter click-based conversions coming from Facebook. Mm. (laughs) And so, which I was like really shocked by, right? Because number one, that's a tactic that a lot of us use. We're surprised to hear that. And I really believe strongly, and I'm sure you guys do as well in the people-based marketing that Facebook's talked about. But I was surprised to hear that Basically, if they're not looking at Facebook reporting, they're looking at the UTM, are we driving qualified traffic through? And I said, how do you then justify it? And she said, we justify it to clients after we go through this by showing them the cost per add to carts. And so they don't necessarily count that. But if they start to say, hey, this is not driving as much qualified traffic as we'd like, you know, she'll say, all right, well, look, we had 3000 ads to cart for $9 or whatever it might be. Right. Like that's a reasonable cost in reference to other channels that you're getting in terms of what you're looking at. So that's one way that people attribute things. The other way that's common that really a lot of branding people do in terms of attribution is they'll do like a lift test with Facebook. So they're basically Mm. holding out a control group. And I think these are a minimum of about a hundred thousand dollars. And I've done a number of these in different ways, but basically it creates a control group that has never heard from you ever. And then you advertise to people and then you look to see, okay, of all the other channels that we're running, does this control group, you know, would they have converted anyway? Or did Facebook help increase their number of conversions? Basically, those are the common ways that I would say. In terms of tactics, the thing that a lot of people don't do that I've been very surprised at is very simple, which is if you have a direct response buying team at your company and you also have a brand buying team at your company or your agency, right? Or let's say you're an agency or let's say you are the client, use one pixel right? Like don't use two (laughs) pixels. Like you can share the pixel through the business manager and you can share that. Not an issue, super easy to do, but you'll be surprised a lot. People have two separate ad accounts and aren't sharing it. So they have no idea. So this is like the war between sales and marketing, but the war between branding and direct response teams. (laughs) Just going to say the same thing. Wow. I I didn't know that was a thing. Maybe one day we will have a direct response team at Digital Marketer. (laughs) Because you got all these internal battles, right? You get all these internal battles within a company. And so there's competitiveness and attribution. And and then you have incentive-based, you know, people are getting paid on incentive. So they want their own pixel. So causing major issues. And then a lot of people don't have the quite vast experience on top of that, right? Understanding of what really works to really throw a bomb into the whole issue. Wow. And the other thing that I was surprised at in terms of biggest difference as well in terms of tactics was the creative testing speed. So I don't know about you guys, the way that we sort of go about it is creative testing is obviously an incredibly big part of what we do. And in terms of client management, if you were to say, quote, what do you spend time doing on optimization, air quotes, optimization, right? For us, it's probably about 30 to 40% of our time is spent on creative optimization, not necessarily a targeting optimization, but 30 to 40% is in that what do we have and what can we show them that's different or more interesting or better visually or whatever, right? So what she said invalidated in the way that I've gone about this too is you basically compress the creative testing time. So you'll test upwards of two to 300 creatives in a period of two to three weeks versus if you had that in another account that let's say was spending under $100,000 a month, you would be probably pulling that out over a two month period, depending on, you know, kind of how you go about it. So it's basically the speed of which you're saying, okay, this is something we can make a determination off of, which makes a lot of sense. 
I think it's just interesting, the psychology of it. I mean, it's a different way of thinking. I mean, I think there is in direct response, and we've definitely noticed this with the changes in the Facebook algorithm, is that the more content that we get out there using different objectives and then just doing simple retargeting DPAs or dynamic product ads, because of the way that the algorithm now works, doing more Facebook Lives, getting more organic content out in front of your ideal customer, that's really a game changer for a lot of our customers who ultimately are really looking for a cost per acquisition. But a piece of that cost per acquisition is that quote unquote branding piece. We don't really look at it as branding. We look at it as like, oh, this is content promotion, getting your name out there, getting them to watch a video, starting to indoctrinate them into your brand. But in essence, it really is exactly like what you're talking about with some different objectives that I don't think we've really used a whole lot inside the agency but they're really, really effective now. And we've noticed that within the last three to six months, especially because the algorithm continues to mature and it wants to make sure that it's the highest quality content in the newsfeed, that these types of approaches and exactly what you're talking about right here produce some of the best results for some of our agency customers, without a doubt. Yeah, and I, yeah. I think there's definitely tr things that you could take in terms of lessons, which are how can we take lessons from branding and into direct response? An example of that in practice, which I know is something I'm sure you guys have done and have done with clients, is using either reach and frequency buying or reach objective through the auction and using that for your absolute best website visitors. We had a situation this year that absolutely blew my mind. We took the top 10% website custom audience last 30 days. And then we took the top 25% last 180 for this client. And it's a fly fishing brand. They don't necessarily target women in their ads a lot. And so we took this out and launched an ad for Father's Day of this very inspirational video of like a father, you know, like his son fly fishing. And we used reach and it got in front of everybody and it drove a six time return on ad spend. So incredibly powerful, right? Because it was bidding at that group of people in an entirely different way. That's one thing that I always tell clients of ours or agencies or other people we're working with, which is if you look in an account, right? And a client will say to you, what do you think I can improve here? If you don't see multiple objectives going in the lower part of the funnel, that's an issue because you absolutely can use them. That's why they're there for you. They're going to reach different segments of your audience and you yes, want to be able right. to get in front of them, right? Yes. And especially if they're the top 10% of people who have visited your website, they're probably incredibly qualified, right? So optimizing for conversion or even click might not be the cheapest way to reach these people. And that's where the reach or brand awareness objective can come into play. And I've seen the exact same thing, reach, optimizing for reach versus conversions being a lot cheaper at the bottom of the funnel because really you just need to show that person another ad, or maybe you need to show it to them a few more times, but they're obviously already in your target market. Yeah. Great point. And so what about top of funnel? So hundred percent agree on everything here. And there's, there's two factors. One that like Molly just said, and you guys both said that when you're using a different objective, you're going to reach different people, even with the same ad because of the way the targeting works. I think at the top of the funnel or the bottom of the funnel, and then you have different ad types as well. I think there's two things here. One is using a different objective with the same ad, right? And then there's using a different objective and a different kind of ad type. And I think you actually need both once you start to get momentum. But 
because you have the people that are at different awareness levels and then you have the different personality types, right? And then just different types as far as on social. And that's, you know, some people respond to videos, some people respond to, you know, they're more page post engagers, there's conversion types of people. So that's why you're getting different types of people with the same exact audience with a different objective. So do you guys do that a lot with the top of funnel stuff too? Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that's a lot of fun is that Facebook continues to give us a lot of new options to test, right? I did ask this question as well, because I always want to validate that what I have seen and what I am doing is right. So uh, for me, reference this a number of times, just so everybody knows in the podcast, like last week, I talked to probably about five of my like most trusted people on this and asked them a series of questions. And one of them was this one, which is what are you using for top of funnel? And resoundingly, the answer is what I've seen as well, which is still using the classic link post ad. <laughs> so that's the one yeah. that drives the best. It drives the best clicks. It drives the most quality clicks. It has the best uh, return on ad spend. Uh, it has the best relevant scores. The exception to that is this interesting thing that still exists in some top funnel branding and for bigger agencies and in you know in some direct response buying from a big angle which is this singular photo post image with a caption and a bitly link at the end mm. that's something that has right now still overweighted and is still overweighted i believe in the algorithm and it's something that brings in super high relevant scores very low cost per click even though Facebook doesn't necessarily love serving it, I don't think, but users really love it. So that's the only exception really other than what you would expect are the classic ones. But we always will use different ad types with different objectives and vice versa. An example of this in practice recently is using conversion campaigns. A number of my colleagues and I, we've switched a lot of our traffic from doing click-based buying and then we tested landing page view. And now we're doing, obviously, a lot of conversion buying. And we are using and optimizing for the page view. And that is actually bringing a lot cheaper cost per click on average to people. Usually about 20 to 30 cents less on average thus far. And so this leads me to believe that potentially there will be the elimination of the traffic objective at some point. Yeah, I foresee that too. And Facebook's actually reporting that and telling people to optimize for the page view conversion versus a click. I've tested a little bit, not anything official. And for the tests that I ran, I saw it was about the same. But, you know, I'm sure as the campaign gets smarter and you're optimizing for that page view, it gets cheaper. So that's an awesome tip. Yeah, we've, we've seen that as well. Because we'll typically, if we are running ads just to pure content, or just image ads. And it's interesting you said about the image. When I think of an image ad, it's sort of that square image that you click and it sort of opens up again. And then you have to click the URL to go to the page if you need it. But we have definitely seen, and with this new landing page conversion option, to lower our overall link clicks versus using website conversion objectives to a page view or a straight link click ad, which is just website clicks. So, and I think that's because you are activating the Facebook pixel, you are activating the algorithm and it does take a while, just like most conversion campaigns to start to really optimize. So that's some interesting stuff right there. 
you know, we talk about direct response buying from big brands. There's not a huge difference and there's not a huge gap in the types of tactics that we're using, mostly larger lookalikes and things like that, bidding a little bit differently. But in just the brand awareness buying, there's so many more options that they have that they're building a really a suite of products around. So the question isn't how are we going to get people to the website? But the question now in brand buying is how do we create that immersive experience that keeps people on site as much as possible? Seen this recently with the tweaks that they're making on Canvas and combining some collections into Canvas and collections ads into a Canvas ad, et cetera. Uh, you've seen this with everything from multi-panel video carousels to 360. So basically, how do we as much as possible tell the story, if we can, using this brand awareness buying so that you're not investing a ton of money into creatives that aren't going to actually drive people to wherever you want them to go. Facebook still has that beautiful thing of, what is it, 17 minutes now, the average user in the United States spends on Facebook property per day. So Facebook or Instagram. So that is where we are headed. And I think the exciting thing is that, one, graphic designers and videographers and everybody that can do visual storytelling are going to be employed forever. The other thing that's exciting about it is that this is now moving into Instagram more. So Instagram has obviously has been a place where we've seen a lot of really good results, cheaper cost per clicks, great interactions, good time on sites after they click through. It's a quality placement. And so off of that, how can they continue to expand the options that are there on Instagram for us to test so that the immersiveness of that isn't just the newsfeed and Instagram stories and Instagram story ads, but is something a lot more complete than that. And I'm excited to see what that's like. Just one of the things we haven't talked about much is video. We've sort of been talking about creative as mostly a link post, but it sounds like you guys use a tremendous amount of video with your customers as well. What's the overall strategy with that? With video, it's really a matter of how do we use this with multiple objectives like we were talking about earlier. So a lot of times what we will do, if let's say the client budget is $100,000, we will use that in three to four different objectives. Those would be page post engagement for one to sort of a middle to lower funnel audience. It would be a video view, obviously. And then one of the things that we do that I think is different than a lot of other people is we actually split out the suggested video placement because that alternative alternative newsfeed for video is so quality and our view times and view percentages on that are many times north of 50% on a one minute to two minute video. So there's a lot of really quality views, which is why I'm excited about the Facebook watch and things like that. And then we'll use the video in really kind of a reach format, right? So We'll try to get it in front of as many people as possible using reach to make sure that's kind of the top blanket. But video is a huge part of it. And we're really, really doing almost exclusively now all square video with the exception, of course, of Instagram stories because they're more engaging. They have higher relevance scores and the Facebook algorithm really likes them and users really like them a lot more. Uh, So that's really kind of the top level strategy that we're using with video. Just to touch on that. If you record a video and you're in the normal HD format, 1920 by 1080 or 1280 by 720, your editor can do that. You can just adjust the canvas. You can do that on your own if you have a basic editor and make it square. Vertical is a little tougher. You gotta probably film. It's easier to do film with your iPhone or something vertical because it's tough to do in editing but because you you cut out a lot. But that's just for people wondering on the square versus non-square. 
I think there's definitely a lot of opportunity too. I think with video, I think that brands are missing the boat on too. I think that there's so much of the proven quote unquote model over the last, you know, 10, 15 years and stuff just keeps getting passed down. And so people get educated by whether it's school or whether it's somebody that's worked in the industry or worked at their company for, for a long time. And I feel like that there's, there's definitely some opportunity with, you know, some unique videos integrated, mixed in with those typical 30 second to 90 second videos, some more story based, maybe three or four minute ones. And, you know, even, even the, the stuff like the squatty potty and some of those viral type of videos that are built for paid traffic, you know, they're three and a half. Some of those are three and a half average four minutes long too. Andrew, I have uh, one more question for you. So I think what we've realized and a big reason why I wanted to have you on is that this whole branding and direct response thing is actually pretty much the same for everybody. <laughs> it's just, we're talking about bigger budgets here, right? So, you know, there's a difference with these big brands who have millions of dollars to spend and they're being measured a lot on how much of their budget is spent or more top of the funnel metrics. But these big brands that you work with, what is one thing that you think they do really well that more direct response focused companies do not? And maybe it's even just a mindset. It's all about the journey. I don't think direct response buyers and myself is included in that are as good as we could be about thinking not just tactically, but strategically the story we are trying to tell, even if it's trying to sell somebody a $25 watch, right? Like you have to, at the end of the day, convince people that this is a good thing that they need or they're missing. And so what they always do, and the big question I get all the time with bigger clients is, hey, how do we use the different tools to tell this story over time, not only tactically, but from a creative standpoint? And that's something that I think more of us are coming up on uh, and thinking more about, but that's a question we get all the time. What's the story we use to introduce? What's the story we use to build the story? And I think the other thing is patience and playing the long game, right? That's something that that people don't do as well and something that I have subscribed to for a long time, which is if you want to do this, this is going to take time and it's going to be something that builds, but it will pay off. And I can promise you that it will. And so it's kind of having that like, yeah, we, we want to convince them that over time, this is something that they need to do. So yeah, that's, I would say it's the biggest difference between it. Well, obviously in being willing to allocate part of budget to something that you may never be able to track back to a sale right? Sometimes that's just going to happen. (laughs) But realizing that you do need to have at least one campaign inside of your ad account that's running to people who have never heard of you before that isn't asking them to do a thing, right? Just really using that campaign to start to tell the story, to introduce yourself, to deposit into that relational equity account that you're building with prospects before you ask them to buy. I totally agree. It's a journey and it's a lot of what we teach on this podcast, just with a few more commas to the budget. (laughs) (laughs) A few more zeros. (laughs) Yeah. Whether you're selling a service or in the real world, people will join a, some kind of a local BNI, you know, or chamber of commerce, or they'll have people on their team showing up at social events, charity events in the, in the community. And they don't expect, well, most people, hopefully they don't expect to, you know, stand up during the five minute intro 
and pitch their product. No, they're going to go there and they're going to show up a few times and get to know people before you start to try to sell all your stuff. And so the online world is no different. And we forget that sometimes. I think internally, especially with big brands where they have a, a branding uh, advertising segment of the company and then there's a direct response segment. I've seen this happen with bigger brands as well, where the direct response side is actually looking too short term as well, right? Like you kind of mentioned earlier in this, just running ads, hopefully expecting to get conversions right from that initial click. And so online is no different than the real world. And just like Roy H. Williams says over and over again from the Wizard Academy and his trilogy, Wizard of Ads trilogy books, is you need six months. You got to give it six months if if you're going to do it right. Like if you're doing the stuff that we teach and that's more branding based, the cumulative effect as well as subconscious effect really starts kicking in six months into it. And then when you combine the stuff that we talk about here where you're combining the direct response and trying to get that at least break even point within a few days, it's the sky's the limit for your brand. And just to add on to that funny, I had a, a Roy H. Williams quote. I don't know, not necessarily a quote, but something funny that I learned in one of his classes. One of his mantras? Roy creates these awesome radio ads. And he created a radio ad for a big company. I think it was 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And they started running the radio ad over a few months. And he told the CEO, right when they started running the campaign, he's like, now listen, all of these little digital guys are going to try to take credit for this campaign. And they're going to say their CPAs have dropped. And just know that's because I'm driving, you know, search traffic to your website. Um, So the moral of the story was, hey, I'm going to create this huge branding campaign on radio and we don't really have a way to track anything. But watch, you're going to see a much higher volume and a lower cost per acquisition on your digital campaigns because I'm raising the awareness, right? And these digital weasels, as he calls them, (laughs) are going to take credit for the good results. So just another example of how branding and direct response work together and it doesn't even have to be online advertising. We can claim credit for being digital weasels. I think that's okay. Yeah, I'm a digital weasel. (laughs) Digital weasel. (laughs) No, this has been really good. Really, really good. And I think it's it's a different look at the platform. I mean, because we're very much focused on direct response here. And I've got a ton of notes. I really appreciate you coming on here today, Andrew. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. And yeah, I'm, like I said, super honored to be on the podcast. So the only plug I have is to check out our podcast, E-Commerce Influence, with my buddy Austin. He's an email guy. So we talk about very similar topics. <laughs> so it's, but it, we're super small, so... Appreciate a listen on there as well. But no, it's a lot of fun to talk about this stuff. I mean, it's something that for me, I've been doing professionally for so long. And it's both incredibly rewarding because I work for myself and it's incredibly frustrating, right? And I always tell people, people say, man, you know, what does it take to be an entrepreneur? And I was like, man, I'm a Midwestern kid. You know, I like to farm. So I like to get up in the morning and tend to my crops. Like that's what I'm doing, basically. <laughs> like it's the same thing every day and getting up and doing I that, love that and, doing, and doing the hard work and it'll pay off. There's not a fast track to it. And I think the thing that has always been surprising to me is the bigger the brand gets, the more honest I am, the more contracts I get. So if I am just super honest with these people, I end up somehow getting more business because I don't go in as a classic consultant and be like, this is a mess. That's a mess. This is good. This is so bad. I just tell them what I believe they need to be doing or what they're doing really well. 
And it's incredible what honesty can get you in the digital marketing world, as you guys know. So, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Thanks for being a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome stuff here. So, once again, you can always hit the show notes at digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast, episode 114 today. Any resources, anything we mentioned at the show notes. As always, this was a great time. Can't wait to talk to you guys again soon. Thanks again, Andrew. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. It was awesome, man. Thank you very much. Really good to be connected with you guys. Thanks for having me on. Cool. Thanks, man. Thank you, Andrew. And uh, we will talk to you on the next one. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic with Keith Grant, Molly Pittman, and Ralph Burns. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening. John Moran here. Q1 is closing and it probably didn't go as well as you'd hoped. I'm sure your agency is telling you that they crushed it, but in reality, it probably crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you, or if there's something wrong but you can't quite put your finger on what, go to tier11.com forward slash apply. That's tier11.com forward slash apply. And we'll get set up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make agencies look good.